Thank you, Alyssa. It is very hard to sing when you have a cold, and it's even harder to sing that song. (laughs) So thank you for sharing with us. Uh, some things I wanted to say before I jump into here. I forgot to mention in the bulletin there's a flyer that everyone should have received. Uh, the same company that, that published our adult Sunday school class that we're doing about marriage uh, every year puts on what they call Weekend to Remember, which is a marriage getaway for a husband and wife. It starts Friday evening, goes through Saturday, ends Sunday morning. Uh, we as a church, they've offered us 40% discount uh, or the best discount that there is. Currently, there's a 50% discount going, so anyone who signs up under our group name will get that 50% discount. Once the 50% discount leaves, everyone else pays 100%, we pay 40% off. So if you'd like to have more information about that, you can go on the website with the flyer. Uh, you can talk to me about it. I'll share with you. Um, and the dates, they got a uh, weekend to remember in Lincoln and one in Omaha. The Lincoln one's in February. The Omaha one is in March. It is a great, great time to reconnect. Uh, couples are encouraged to go who are having a great time. It's kind of getting an oil change, they call it. Uh, or couples who are going through a really, really hard time. And they call that going through an engine overhaul. Um, it's for both types of couple, couples and all in between. And it's a great, great program. Let me know if you want more information about that. There are more flyers for it on the back table. So if you, how to word this correctly, there's really no good way. If you know someone who would benefit from this weekend, you can take this flyer and give give it to them, and they can share our same discount. Um, Anyone who's, if if they're your friends, they're your family, they're friends of your friends, I don't care, they can still be part of our group discount. Uh, So please spread it to anyone who wants, anyone who needs it, anyone I don't know. I'm just going to stop talking. (laughs) Um, That being said, we do have Sunday school today after service, all ages for kids downstairs, and we'll be session number four in our marriage Sunday school class upstairs here. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, Last week was cheer and cherish. This week is something else, and if you want to know, you can come to it. On to the passage for today, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 to 16, and you thought I was stumbling over talking about inviting people to a marriage weekend. Uh, This passage is going to be a doozy. (laughs) Not that we haven't already covered a lot of doozies. This one's going to be a doozy, but before that, let's, let's warm myself up to it. Many of you know that before I was in ministry, I worked in food service. That is my professional experience, is food service. I was a manager at my college's dining services. I was a manager at Subway. I was a manager at McDonald's. Last of all, I was a manager at Chick-fil-A. And just because I was talking about it, I decided to wear what I would wear at Chick-fil-A. So right here, see? Chick-fil-A symbol. This tie is all Chick-fil-A symbols. If you can't see it from there, you can come shake my hand afterwards and then stare at my tie. I loved working at Chick-fil-A. It was my favorite place to work besides being in ministry here. If God ever called me out of ministry, I might just go and start a Chick-fil-A in Norfolk. Each place I worked had a form of training. Because most places you work, they need to have that. They need to tell you how how you're supposed to do things. At food service, they tell you how to run the cash register because every single one is different. You'd think they would make it the same, but it's not. Every single one is different. They tell you how to make their food. They tell you about their policies, procedures, so on and so on. Every single training I went through for all the different companies also touched on the culture of the company. Some of that cultural training was just a couple hours, like Subway and McDonald's. Or it was two weeks long, like at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A went down to details of actually telling you things you were supposed to say. If you had ever gone to a Chick-fil-A, if you say, thank you, the Chick-fil-A worker should, if they've been trained well, should say, my pleasure. And if they don't, you get the management off to the side and you let them know. 
Okay? Do it. As a former Chick-fil-A manager, do it. They wanted, especially Chick-fil-A. McDonald's is getting there, but they're way behind the times. Every company wants, when, when you walk in, they want you to get a certain feel for the company, a certain aura, so to speak, a, a, certain, a certain upliftedness by interacting with the employees. The, the employee is supposed to interact in a way that you know of what this business is about. Truett Cathley, the guy who, who started Chick-fil-A, uh, he has this, uh, this spiel he goes on in a video that all the new employees has to watch. And he talks about how Chick-fil-A is not in a chicken-selling business. They're in a people business. Their goal is that every single person who walks into that company feels valued. Doesn't matter if they buy something or not. Because they want people to come back. And they want people to feel good there. So they're in the people business, and they just happen to sell chicken on the side. Each place I worked not just had an expectation on the culture of how you're supposed to act to, company, to, to, to customers and to people on, on beside you, your coworkers, but they had expectation on what you were to wear, hence my uniform here. If you go to McDonald's, every employee is going to wear the same thing. Supposed to wear the same thing. Sometimes they go, and they're about to change their uniforms, actually, McDonald's are. They're trying to be more trendy. Subway, every employee is going to be the same. Chick-fil-A, every employee is going to wear the same, except higher standard. They, they were like, okay, this is what you dress for your shirt. This is what you have to wear for your pants. This is what you have to wear for your shoes. This is what you have to wear for your tie. This is how your hair is supposed to look. It was like, it, it is this package that they want you to have. The company wanted everyone to know who their employees were by what they do, how they act, and by what they dress. When I worked at Chick-fil-A, I was the evening manager, and we closed our doors at 10, we closed everything up, cleaned everything up, we were out of there between 11.30 and midnight uh, afterwards. On Fridays, I would take my whole crew out after we closed up and cleaned up, and we'd go and get milkshakes together, Friday evenings, that's what we did, because in Dallas, you, uh, there were places that were open 24 hours. So we'd go and get milkshakes. Maybe at Steak and Shake, maybe at IHOP, someplace like that. It was great, great fun. We would walk in, and immediately everyone knew that we were not employees at this other restaurant. They knew we were Chick-fil-A employees because we all still had our uniforms on. And they would purposefully say things to us to try to get us to say the Chick-fil-A-isms. Like, every single one of us, people would walk by, and they'd say, thank you! And... Once someone says thank you and you've been in trained so much to say my pleasure without thinking, it just pops out. You haven't done anything for this person, but they said thank you, so you say my pleasure. And they just laugh and giggle and go on. Our faith as followers of Jesus Christ is supposed to be the same. We are those who confess to follow Jesus Christ. Hopefully, we don't just tell people that we're followers of Jesus Christ, but hopefully there's been a time in our life when we have turned from our sins and come to Jesus in faith and confessed him as our Savior, choosing to rest on him alone for our salvation, receiving that intimate relationship. Hopefully there's been a point in our life where we have done that. And if we've done that, we can then turn around and tell people, hey, we're followers of Jesus Christ. But hopefully we're not just telling people that, but hopefully we're living it. If we have confessed to follow Jesus with our life, everything we do, everything we do, including how we dress, including what we say, including how we interact with people, should be defined by the gospel. We, we, I don't want to throw companies under the bus, but I worked at McDonald's. And there's plenty of people who worked at McDonald's who didn't dress or act like McDonald's wanted them to act like. Hopefully we're not McDonald's Christians. Hopefully we're Chick-fil-A Christians. This is recorded. I probably shouldn't have said that. People should be able to look at us. They should be able to look at our choices of action, our choices of words, our choices even of attire, and know that we're followers of Jesus Christ. They should, just by looking at us. Now the passage we are going to read today 
is one of the most hotly debated passages in the New Testament. You thought we went through some hard ones before in 1 Corinthians. We thought you went through some hard ones when we went into the minor prophets in the Old Testament last year. Well, this one is a doozy. It's hotly debated because of translation issues, but even more so because of application issues. We're going to read it, and I ask that as I read it, you would remember grace, and you would not throw any tomatoes at me. Okay? We're good? All right. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 16. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 16. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover her, his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a, man ought to have, that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. It is, proper, is, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor are the churches of God. Okay. Now, we're going to get this point over with. I'm not here up in front of you all, especially you ladies, and tell you to leave the church service and go and cover your head. I'm not going to stand up here and say that, because that's not what this passage is about. You say, but he says head coverings. Well, yeah, earlier on he also said meat sacrifice to idols, but there was a deeper issue going on than just meat sacrifice to idols. He talks about head coverings because there's a deeper issue going on that is manifested in the head coverings. So if you're a woman and you're afraid I was going to say, go put something on your head, can I have a, hear a sigh of relief? Okay, good. You can go put something on your head then, since I didn't hear any sigh of relief. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word that we might know you better. And in knowing you better, we might live our lives differently. Lord, teach us let us know what it means to have our entire life affected by your gospel. Convict us of the sin in our life and the ways we need to change so the world around would know that we are your followers and we want to glorify you in all ways possible. Lord, touch us, teach us, and guide us. As I'm up here, Lord, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may your words, may my words, be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Paul says that everything we do, including how we dress, is to be defined by the gospel. Everything we do, including how we dress, is to be defined by the gospel. This passage is the meeting of three different concepts, all crashing together into this subject of dress. So to apply this passage, we are going to look at three different questions, three different areas that point back to the subject of dress, specifically head coverings in the Corinthian society, but our dress in today's society. As we look at each question, we are going to answer that question by looking at the historical background of the passage, we're going to look at the theological background of the passage, and then we're going to look at a modern-day application of the passage. The key to any Bible study is not to look at today's society and read it back into Scripture because Paul was writing in a specific context. So we don't look at today's society and read it back. We look at when Paul was writing or when Peter was writing or when Isaiah was writing, what's happening then, look at the theological principle and then apply it to today. That's the key. We look at then theological principle and apply that principle to today which what we're going to try to do today, 
without getting caught in the quicksand that is especially apparent with this passage. Uh, because there's a lot of difficulties in this passage. A lot of people get angry with this passage. Books have been written in this passage. There have been pastors who've written series, who've preached series on this passage. And I'm going to do it in one day. Okay? So, I got a lot to cover. I might talk faster than I even normally do, uh, but we'll see. Just as an aside, just because I have to, so many people focus on women's head coverings in this passage, on the female aspect. In fact, there are some Bibles in their headings for this passage, say, women's head coverings. Now, the headings are not inspired. Someone else wrote those. And I look at them and say, why in the world would you say that? Because Paul talks about men first. He says, every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And we don't have anyone writing books saying, men, when you pray, you better cover your head. Anyone see that? No, because everyone blips over the men and immediately goes to the woman and says, oh, but every woman who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So many people, when studying this passage, single out the woman. But in doing that, they perform biblical surgery and cut out several verses. Even people who claim to be Bible scholars, conservative Bible scholars, cut out several verses instead of actually teaching what the Bible says. Okay. Diving into the questions. First question, does how we dress show how God made us? Does how we dress show how God made us? That's the first question. We know that God made two sexes, male and female. Yes? You're still with me. All right. God made those sexes distinct. Yes? Awesome. Good. All right. God made those sexes distinct, not in status, for we are all equal before God, but distinct in function. Yes? All right, good. I'm making sure no one falls asleep because this is going to be a very academic sermon. <laughs> Let's look at what is happening historically at this time in Corinth. The Corinthian church realized the radicalness of the gospel. In Jewish society, in Roman society, and basically all the societies around at this time, women were not given very many rights in society. They weren't. But then Paul and Peter and the rest of the apostles come along, and they preach something radically different from the societies of the day. They say things like Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. Immediately, women are given a higher status than they were ever given at that life. Christians were, Christian women were radically lifted in, up. In fact, where most polite societies would not allow women to address a public gathering, they, could, they couldn't come up front and say anything at this time, churches at this time allowed women to come up and pray publicly, lead their congregation in prayer. Churches allowed their women to come up and prophesy in public, to say, this is the word from the Lord that I have for you at this time. When Paul sent his letter to the Romans in Rome, it was a woman, Phoebe, who brought this letter to Rome and stood in front of her church instead of the sermon and read this letter to the church in Rome. Such thing was not heard of at this time. So, women were equal with men for the first time in their lives in their thinking in Christian society. So, so many women were saying, hey, if we're equal with men, let's dress like it. Let's show by our dress that we are the same as men. Traditionally, in Christian churches at this time, men would uncover their heads during worship. More on why later. Women would cover their heads with the hood of their outer garment, such as this. So if you see some Mennonite churches and that sort of thing, it wasn't this little nice lacy doyle there. It was this outer garment hood that they would cover heads with. More on the reason for that later. But because of wanting to dress according to their status as equals, many women were praying and prophesying in church service with their head uncovered because they wanted to say, hey, we are equal with men, and I'm going to show you by how we dress. Not only were they doing it by how they dressed, but some of them were starting to adopt different hairstyles, cutting their hair shorter because they wanted to show, hey, we are equal with men. Let us liberate 
how we dress. Let us liberate what we do with our hair. Some men, on the other hand, so we have the woman on that side, some men, for some reason, were beginning to adopt more feminine styles. They were beginning to cover their head while they prayed. More on reason why. They begin to let their hair grow. I'll talk about that later as well. Paul looks at this trend toward unisex fashion in his church and gives a hard stop. Why? Well, he points to creation. He throws out some words like head, image, glory. Some words that some women begin to start screaming on the inside about because some of these words tend to put them in boxes that they don't want to be put into. But we're going to talk about head first. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 11, verse 3, he says, But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. What's he saying? There are a lot of different theories about what he's saying with this word head. Uh, lots of different ideas. Some say that he's talking about authority, such as the head of a company. This is the one with authority. Some people say that he's talking about source, such as the head of a river, the source of the river. Some people agree with me, and he's talking about foremost or preeminent. If you think about a married couple, they are one in Christ. Yes, they are one body, and the head is the top of that body. It is the preeminent, the foremost part of that body. It is the one with responsibility to lead the rest of the body. It is the one with responsibility to protect the rest of the body. It's, it's interesting that in the words of Jesus, the, the leader, the one with responsibility, must serve. So the foremost in the relationship, the, the man, the head, is called to protect the status and self-respect of the weaker. As scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 5, they must take responsibility and protect the status and self-respect of the weaker. God created man and woman differently. He did. We're equal in status, but we're different in function. God gave the man the responsibility to care for and to protect the woman and others in his sphere. He is the head. Now, let's talk about image and glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman. Whoops, sorry. I need to catch up with myself. Man did not come from woman, woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Notice, in these verses, Paul does not repeat the phrase image. He only says it once. He says that man is the image and glory of God. But woman was also created in the image of God. God created a man as a way of bringing honor and praise to himself. First, Adam, created first, as, as a person who brings honor and praise to God. Our existence brings God glory, but man was not complete. Yes? Yeah. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that. So God created Eve as a complement to him, someone that is uniquely man's glory. Uniquely man's glory. That went too far. There we go. That's my wife. In case you didn't know. The day we were married, you look, see the look in Dean's eyes? I think he was staring at me. <laughs> Pretty hard. He's like, <laughs> uniquely different. Man glories in the difference of his wife. God created woman distinctly different than man. Can I hear every man say amen? Yes. Distinctly different. And it is a good difference because in this, in this difference, she's able to compliment me and fill me in a way that nothing else could. She has the ability to compliment me with an incomparably richer reality, which is irreplaceable. Man and woman, when they willingly choose to glory in their roles as leader who protects, as complement who lifts up. We show God in a way that nothing else in creation does, in a way that nothing else in society does. Together, in our roles, in our different roles, 
We show God. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The God, the Father, God, the Son, Holy Spirit. They are all equally and completely God. But they are not each other. They're equal in status, but they are different in function. The Son willingly chooses to follow the Father and to complement him. In the, it's not something that is forced on the Son. God the Father doesn't say, Son, you better do this. The Son, God the Son says, I am here to compliment. I'm here to help. I am here to come alongside. I am doing my role and my function in the same way man and woman are in the glory of one another, each taking their roles, willingly choosing them. This ability to image God would not be possible if our differences became the same. If Maggie was exactly like me in her body, exactly like me in her personality, exactly like me in, in every, her emotions, we would not be able to glory in each other because the glory comes in the dis- difference, not in the sameness. Now, if we looked at each other and, and I said, you are not my equal, we wouldn't be able to glory in each other either. If we do not give A man and woman is not able to glory in another human person if that person is not accorded dignity and respect as a fellow human being of equal status in the gospel. Because we're not able to lift them up. We're pushing them down. Paul asserts in this passage that man and woman are equal in status under Christ because they are both saved. They're both able to image him. But we have different functions. These different functions glorify God because they mimic him. Okay? Have I left anyone behind yet? All right. What does this mean? Does how we dress show how God made us? Does how we dress show how God made us? If we are a man, do we dress distinctively as a man? If we are a woman, do we dress distinctively as a woman? We could talk about Deuteronomy 22.5, but I'm not going to. Talks about don't wear each other's clothing. God created us as man and woman, and he is glorified by how he created us. He is glorified by our bodies. He is. So we are to show by our dress how God made us. Women were saying, hey, I'm going to show by my dress that I am equal to man, and I'm going to remove that gender distinction. And Paul says, no, don't do it, because God is glorified by our difference, by our difference. I know some conservative families who are very, very concerned about modesty, and they're so concerned about modesty that the women dress like men, and that shouldn't be. God created us different. And he's glorified in our difference. If we try to be the same, he is not glorified in that. Just as he's glorified in the difference in our roles, he's glorified in the difference in our bodies. First question, does how we dress show how God made us? Second question, does how we dress show whom God made us? Does how we dress show whom God made us? Before Christ, we are horrible sinners. Yes? All right. After meeting Christ, we still have the ability to be horrible sinners. Yes? Yes. Thankfully, Christ is working in us so that we can be holy even as he is holy. But that is a progression that he is doing in us, and it's not something that happens just like that, unfortunately. So does how we dress show who we were before Christ, or does it show who we are after Christ? Let's look at the situation in Corinth. In Corinth, in Roman society, clothing was not something that was just worn. It wasn't like, oh, what am I going to wear today? I know, I'm going to wear my blue shirt and my black pants. Put it on. Fashion faux pas, totally. They didn't just look and say, hey, I'm going to put it on. They said, okay, what is the statement I'm going to make about myself today? And then they would put on that statement. Clothing made statements about the person. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man... Oh, that's... Uh, yep, that's further. We're going to talk about those verses. I wanted to cover these verses too. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen to 15. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. Maybe bi- many Bible scholars are thrown into a loop because at first Paul talks about head coverings and then he talks about hair. And they say, well, well which one is it? Is he talking about head coverings or hair? And about half of them say, oh, he's talking about head coverings, the entire passage. And the other half says he's talking about hair, the entire passage. And I look at them and say, well, couldn't he just be talking about both? Yes, because that's what scripture says. And we look at what scripture says. In Corinthian times, specifically in Roman society, both dress and hair made statements about a person. Both dress and hair. Let's talk about men. This is a man from Corinth. Uh, 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 unfortunately, he lost his head in both his arms. Just a flesh wound. It's okay. Just a scratch. <laughs> He'll be fine. The author Horace wrote around 8 B.C., a couple years before Jesus was born, about 40 years before Paul wrote, and about 40 years or so before this man, unfortunately, was decapitated. He said that certain male attire and hairstyles were considered effeminate at that time. Basically, they were markers that this guy was homosexual. He would wear certain clothing, do certain things to his hair, show the world, I am gay. That's what he did. Other clothing styles and hairstyles were markers that this man was sexually loose. He would put in, wear certain things, hair a certain way, just basically put it on a billboard saying, hey, I'm available if you're willing. Come and get me. The styles also pointed towards religious beliefs. Archaeological evidence shows that men covered their head at this time in the context of prayer and religious services in Roman pagan religions. That was all different things that hair and clothing styles would do at this time. So by showing careful attention to their dress, Paul is telling these Corinthian Christians to show that they're not following the sexual excesses, the sexual sins of their culture, and they're not worshiping the gods of their culture. It would be a travesty for a man to stand up here praying and someone come in and think, oh, he must be praying to this Roman God because of what he's wearing. Oh, this man's praying, he's being so devout, but he must be wanting to sleep around afterwards. It would be wrong for a man to do this at this time. Wouldn't you say so? Yes. The Corinthians were supposed to pay careful attention to their dress. Their men were to not give off that time. Interestingly, just as an aside, I shouldn't say this because I'm running out of time, but that's okay. You're getting my historical geekedness. Jewish men did not start covering their head in prayer until after Paul wrote this letter. You might see some shows uh, showing ta- Jesus' time and the Pharisees praying with their heads covered. And that's not correct. They didn't start covering their heads until the second half of the first century as a way of showing that they were not Christians. So, there you go. That's a freebie. Clothing styles and hairstyles made statements about the person, specifically their sexuality and their religion at this time. Let's talk about women. Thankfully, she still kept her head and her arm. She's just missing a finger. Head coverings at this time were very important in Roman society. Respectable Roman women kept their head covered as a protection of their dignity. It showed that their, their status was a person not to be propositioned out in public. Hands off. They didn't want it. That's what the head covering was for. A historian by the name of Russell notes that the head covering was a badge of honor, of sexual reserve, and a mastery of the self. 
He wore the head covering to say, hey, you're not sleeping around. You're pure. What about hair? At this time, there were three ba- basically three messages that a female's hair sent. Long, loose, flowing hair, so you didn't have your head covered. Your hair was not up. It was just down, going all over the place. It was associated with undisciplined sexuality. A shaven head was associated with sexlessness or celibacy. Also, lesbians at this time tended to shave their head. Shortened hair, hair that was up, hair that was covered, was associated with restricted sexuality. So just like men, Christian women were to show by their dress and by their hairstyles that they were not following the sexual sins of their culture. And they did this by paying carefully attention to their hair, their clothing styles. Now, why would they do this? Paul says, because it dishonors the head. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 3 to 5. He says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. And then jumping up in 11... Verses 11 to 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Paul is saying everything we do, everything we say, everything we wear points back to God ultimately. And if God has set us free from the sins of our culture and the sins of our past, why should we dress as if we are still wallowing in those sins? Paul is telling the Corinthians, why are you dressing like you're still wallowing in the sins of your culture? Great question. Let's talk about it today very briefly. One one commentator wrote this. In any culture, believers must strenuously avoid whatever forms of dress or grooming that potentially communicates to the non-Christian world sexual misconduct or idolatrous worship. Indeed, Romans chapter 1 identifies that the theological core of unbelief is idolatry, and the ethical core of unbelief is sexual sin. Behavior, mannerisms, clothing, hairstyles that suggest that a person is sexually unfaithful to his or her spouse, that a person is promiscuous, that a person is homosexual, or that the person is the devotee of some non-Christian religion or cultic or occult sect are entirely appropriate for Christians, particularly in the church. Put simply, men and women are not to destroy their self-respect or their respect in the eyes of others by taking part in worship dressed like they are sexually available right after service is the application here. We must dress like we are worshipers of Jesus Christ in holiness. Now, what that looks like, what that means is going to be different in every culture because scripture doesn't say what modesty is. Scripture doesn't say what dressing like the sexual sins of your culture is. It's one thing in California. It's another thing in Saudi Arabia. It's another thing in India. It's another thing here. Every culture is different on what this looks like. So we must apply it according to our culture and where we're at. So our questions. Does how we dress show how God made us? Does it show that we are distinctively male? Does it show that we're distinctively female? Because in, show, in that, God is glorified. But does how we dress show whom God made us? That we are leaving behind our sins and the sins of our culture. That boundary is a very hard boundary to keep, but it must be watched. The last question, which has a weird word in it, does how we dress show wherefore God has made us? Does how we dress show wherefore God has made us? Wherefore is an older term that means purpose or reason. Does anyone need to do any jumping jacks? Because this is taking a little longer than I planned. <laughs> the Corinthian church, as we have discussed in other weeks, has been obsessed by their knowledge. By their knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, Corinthians, you say you have knowledge, you want to debate me. Well, Corinthians, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. The Corinthians were at this position where if they reasoned it out, if their mind thought it, then it must be true. Over and over and over, from chapter 1 to chapter 3 to chapter 4 to chapter 6 to chapter 7 to chapter 8 to chapter 10, over and over, the Corinthians were saying, but this is what I know, and I'm going to exalt what I know over and above my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to exalt what I know over and above my need to show the gospel to the community. I'm going to exalt what I know over and above the, my priority of glorifying God. I'm going to, it's exalting my knowledge. So therefore, I'm going to follow me instead of God, and you better follow me too, because I'm right. We saw it in food sacrifice to idols. We saw it in their sexual immorality. 
We saw it in the way they treated husband and wife relations all throughout this book. We saw them exalting knowledge instead of actually following God and showing love to each other. The Corinthians were pretty messed up, just like we are pretty messed up. The Corinthians, both men and women, said, hey, this is what we know. This is what our knowledge tells us. Our knowledge tells us that we are equals in Christ, and our knowledge tells us that we have the freedom to do whatever we want to do in Christ. Therefore, we can wear whatever we want to wear. It doesn't matter what we wear because we are equals in Christ and we have the freedom to do whatever we want to do. Well, doesn't it matter? In Roman society, someone's dress, specifically the females, but it did apply to males as well, but specifically the females, someone's dress had an impact on the status of another person. On the status of another person. Uh, A female's dress would would bring glory and honor to their father or glory and honor to their husband. So when a woman stood in public in the church service to pray or prophesy in in a way that would become an object of attraction to be sized up by men or dressed in a way that showed cryptic suggestions to men around them to go meet them in the bleachers out back, she brought shame on her father. She brought shame on her husband, which was a big deal in an honor and shame culture like this. The Corinthians, unfortunately, consistently, when faced between, hey, am I going to do what's right for someone else, or am I going to work for my own freedom? Am I going to work for someone else's good, or I'm going to do according to my freedom, consistently said, you know, I don't care about them. I only care about myself. What's the correct response? The correct response is to imitate Christ. Christ willingly gave up his rights in order to seek the good of others. Paul speaks about this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vague conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Why? Because Jesus did. We read about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus willingly gave up his rights as God himself, as dweller in the throne room of heaven, in order to work for the good of sinful humanity. This thing that he did of coming down from heaven had nothing to do with self-glory. Sure, it brought him glory, but he actually said, I'm working for the glory of the Father. It had nothing to do with affirmation of himself, making him feel good at the expense of everyone else. He made himself feel bad so that we might be lifted up into relationship with him. He also wasn't forced to do this. He willingly said, you know, I'm going to give up my rights so that they might live. He loved, which meant giving up his freedom. We're saved because Jesus gave up his rights. Paul wrote to, the, wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. We've already discussed most of these verses. I'm going to drill on verse 10 a little bit. Paul says that a woman is to have authority over her own head. Your translation might be worded just a little bit differently, but the the, the essence of this verse is is that. Have authority over your head. Men and women have the freedom to wear whatever they want to wear in Christ. But our faith is about giving up rights. Paul tells the Corinthians, Jesus gave up his rights, therefore you should too. When what you wear brings glory and shame on someone else, have self-control. Have authority over your own head to give up your rights to wear whatever you want so you can bring glory instead of shame on someone else, honor instead of shame. He continues in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 11 to 12, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. He says, in other words, if you're not willing to give up your rights in order to show love to someone who is your equal in Christ— then give up your rights in order to bring glory to God because he is worthy of all things. What does that mean for today? Corinthians, it meant cover your head. Wear the right hairstyle. What does it mean today? We don't have to worry about head coverings and hairstyles. 
because that doesn't mean anything in our, in our society. What we do with our hair, cover it, uncover it, cut it, make it long, has really no bearing in our society. But we still should be concerned about shame and honor because we are followers of Jesus Christ. What we do goes back on someone else. It does. What I wear reflects back on my wife, which is why I try not to wear anything that's too clashing. Not too clashing. What I re- wear reflects back on the church. What I wear reflects on my God. What, what we wear, it does. It, people, people look at us and they make judgments based upon what we wear. And so for the sake of someone else's honor, for the sake of his honor, we watch what we wear. Unfortunately, everyone in every culture has a different understanding of, of what that looks like. Of, that, of the, where that line is between dressing according to my gender and dressing according to the sin of my culture and dressing according to giving up my rights to show the glory of God. And touting, instead of touting freedom to do whatever I want, I should be asking, does this bring glory to God? Does this bring honor to my brothers and sisters in Christ? And is this an avenue for showing the gospel? Even our clothing, we can ask these questions. Is what I'm wearing bring glory to God? Is what I wear bring honor to my fellow Christians? Does what I wear bring avenue for the gospel? And again, this will look different in every culture. It will look different in every situation. We could walk into those situations and say, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just going to act in ignorance and do what I want. And so we go to Saudi Arabia and and we wear what we want to and we bring shame to our God because we don't live according to their morality. But instead of reacting in ignorance, we need to act according to truth for the glory of God. I didn't answer any questions today. If you'd like specific discussion on this topic, let me know. Because every situation is different, and Maggie and I have had a bunch of discussions these past couple weeks on this passage already as we both try to apply it to our lives. Everything we do, including how we dress, is defined by the gospel. Has to be. People should be able to look at us, should be able to look at our choices of action, our choices of words, our choices of attire, and know that we're followers of Jesus Christ. So, this week, ask yourselves, does how I dress show how God made me? Does it show that I'm male? Does it show that I'm female? Does how I dress show whom God made me, that I'm leaving behind the sins of my past, leaving behind the sins of my culture. Does how I dress show wherefore God made me? Does it show the gospel by giving up my rights for the good of others? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God who created us to be something different, a third culture, not the culture of our nation, not the culture of the nations around, but the culture of your throne in heaven. Lord, help us to reflect that. Give us wisdom on how to reflect that because it is really hard. But Lord, may our dress glorify you by our difference. May our dress glorify you by our holiness. May our dress glorify you by the fact that we get to show others what you did for us. Lord, teach us what that means in our society. And may we have those conversations in truth and honesty. Thanks, Father. Amen. Well, thanks for coming out and worshiping us this Sunday. Next week will be a better week. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. So that'll be a great time. Uh, interesting side note, just as I go along cultural differences, did you know it used to be the men who wore makeup? Uh, proper men wore makeup, and women did not. So, things change. It's crazy. Wear makeup next week, Brooke. <laughs> Sunday school for kids downstairs, Sunday school for adults upstairs as we explore marriage. Uh, and until we meet again, whether it is Next week, whether it's when Christ calls us home or sometime in between, may we live 
having the gospel impact all areas of our life.